Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, everyone, to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters. And today is a very special podcast because we are launching our new podcast theme, Women in Words, Why Bible Translation Matters. And our guest is none other than Dr. Jeffrey Miller, who leads CBE's Bible Translation Project and has been involved in this project for the past four years. On this, our inaugural episode, Jeff will consider the impact of Bible translation on crucial gospel issues. But first, just a little bit about Jeff. He is a professor of Bible at Milligan University. He served as editor of Priscilla Papers, CBE's award-winning academic journal since 2014. He is headed CBE's Bible translation project uh, very from the very early on. Uh, phases and has been involved with it for about five years. He is a gifted speaker, an award-winning author, and he's very supremely gifted in addressing New Testament issues, particularly those that involve women leaders in scripture. Jeff has recently received CBE's Lifetime Achievement Award. So Jeff, welcome to Mutuality Matters. Thanks, Mimi. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, for those in our audience who do not know much about Bible translation and our project in particular, can you introduce the project and tell us why it's crucial to Bible readers of English translations? Yes, I'd be glad to. Uh, first of all, just a quick comment on what it is. Uh, currently, we're working on just over 500 verses, and these are verses that, when translated into English, over the years, they have either veiled the presence and the work of women in Scripture, or they have even led to silencing women or disrespecting women in some other way. So that's what we're doing. Uh, concerning why it's crucial, um, interpretation rests almost entirely on translation. I think our listeners will agree Translation sets the direction for interpretation. And beyond that, um, it sets the direction for life application. And one more quick comment um, to your question. It's simply not common to think of the Bible as a translation when we're reading it, especially if we're reading it for devotion, life application, for worship. And so the team uh, is writing commentary on our translation choices that will give windows into how decisions are made. And, for example, what wording besides the final chosen wording was also considered. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. It's so, so obvious, but easily forgotten. Thank you, Jeff. So could you share... Um, a few of the less complicated Bible translation recommendations uh, the CBE translation team has proposed? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I've got three or four here. Um, first of all, in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 18, um, the Old Testament team has used the word genuine partner, the phrase genuine partner. And the partner part is for the Hebrew word azer, 
helper. A small number of Bibles do this. They use partner, including, for example, the contemporary English version. Right. But no other Bible uses the word genuine for the following word, konegdo, in the phrase ezer konegdo. Um, not only does that word genuine capture the meaning, but uh, a fresh translation, you know, when you encounter wording that you haven't encountered before, a fresh translation can cause someone to pause and rethink. Wonderful. So that's one example from Genesis. Um, another couple examples. Um, translations tend to use euphemisms for certain aspects of life as a woman. Or worse than using euphemisms, they may just ignore them altogether. And this was something that was emphasized by the women members of our team. I'll give two examples. In Mark 5, chap uh, chapter 5, verse 25, uh, we have Mark's version of the, of the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years and Jesus' healing of her. Well, our translation says that she was menstruating continually for 12 years. Most Bibles, the kind of bleeding this woman experienced goes unmentioned or at best is mentioned in a footnote. Mm -hmm. Even the Amplified Bible, which is known for being expansive, and even paraphrases such as the message, which are explanatory, shy away from using plain language in cases like this. And so we have said what we believe the text means and, and what commentators believe the text means. She was menstruating continually for 12 years. Here's a similar example. In Hebrews 11, 11, here is our translation. By faith, even though Sarah herself was both unable to conceive and postmenopausal, she received the power to conceive because she considered God, who had given the promise, to be trustworthy. And again, it was the women members of our team who said that we should use the word postmenopausal to reflect women's experience. Only one other translation that I'm aware of uses language like this. It's called The Voice. It's a 2012 translation that's aimed at literary beauty. Mm. Now, by way of reminder, uh, what, we're, what we're doing here is I'm answering your question about a few less complicated aspects of our translation. Here's one from Colossians. It's about slavery, which we encountered because it is included with the marriage relationships in the New Testament household codes. Colossians 4.1. Here's our translation. Slave owners... Show justice and equality to your slaves. Most translations say fairly here, like instead of equally, fairly. But fairness doesn't really convey the power of Paul's words, since fairness is interpreted with a context or within a set of rules or customs. If a slave owner was told to treat slaves fairly, he might respond that he does. He treats all his slaves the same. Mm -hmm. or that he doesn't beat them unless they deserve it. But Paul goes way beyond that. He tells owners to give justice and equality to those whom the owner has enslaved. This can only mean one thing, which is to set them free. Right. How powerful and what a beautiful example. 
really brings new insights to Paul's uh, letter to Philemon regarding Onesimus, who we, we've heard from historians, goes on to become Bishop of Ephesus. And so Philemon must have set him free and took the real meaning of Paul's uh, concept here, going way beyond fairness. To, yes, indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. How wonderful. Mm -hmm. I only wish we had tackled this years ago. Okay, so what about some more vexing translation issues the church continues to struggle with, like 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15? Can you share how Bible trans our Bible translation team has struggled with this very text? Yeah, I can say some things about that. Um, it's interesting that you use the word vexing translation issue. I appreciate that. And you use the word struggle. Um you know, the, the previous question was about things that we've come up with that are not complicated. So with that Colossians 4.1 example, justice and equality is exactly what the text says. It was not difficult for us to come up with that. But moving on, you're right. First Timothy 2 is not easy. It's not an easy text. Um, and it's the kind of text that our readers are going to flip to, right? Mm -hmm. So having said that, let me give our decisions on some of the difficult and or controversial parts of 1 Timothy 2, and I'll continue a little bit on into chapter 3 as well. So first of all, in chapter 2, verse 9, Paul calls women to dress with propriety and self-control. That's our translation. We have avoided the words modesty and decency. Uh, which are very common in translations. And we've avoided these terms because they suggest that Paul's main concern is women dressing in sexually provocative ways. But clearly, Paul is more concerned with flaunting wealth. And our translation with propriety and self-control works well with the wealth mm. concern on Paul's mind. Mm. Next, moving on to verse 11, uh, our translation of 1 Timothy 2.11 begins, make sure that a woman learns, rather than the typical, let a woman learn. The New Testament team chose this wording for three reasons. First, the word let that is so common here in English Bibles usually means allow or permit. But Paul is not saying permit a woman to learn. He's not saying, like, if a woman asks, then permit her. The standard let a woman learn does not communicate the imperative force of Paul's instruction. Second, we should frequently remind ourselves that Paul is talking to Timothy. He is not, for example, speaking to all the Christians in Ephesus or to all the women in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. Paul instructs Timothy, a key leader and Paul's own delegate in Ephesus, that women should learn. So it becomes Timothy's responsibility to make sure that women are indeed being taught well. Our third reason is that emphasis is essentially always put on the way women should learn, meaning interpreters and readers essentially always put 
emphasis on the way women should learn, which we have translated peaceably and with full submission, rather than on the fact mm. that women should learn. Mm. So again, beginning in a way that no other Bible does with this lead-in, make sure that a woman learns. Beginning that way may prompt readers to reconsider their assumptions about Paul's intent. So that was verse 11. Um, in verse 12, readers, uh, listeners will want to know what we've done with the verb authentane. We have translated the word authentane as seize authority, not simply as have authority. And in the following phrase, uh, in the following phrase in that verse, the contrast to seizing authority is being peaceable. It's not being silent, as many other translations say. So we use seize authority in the first half of the verse and peaceable rather than silent or quiet in the second half. I said I'd continue on into 1 Timothy 3. In 3.2, Paul uses the phrase that's often characterized as a one-woman man or a one-wife husband. And he does this as he describes characteristics of overseers. Mm -hmm. We have translated this devoted to one's spouse. Mm -hmm. Devoted to one's spouse. And our commentary goes on to explain that this doesn't mean an overseer must be married, but simply that a married overseer must be devoted to her or his spouse. So those are some of the highlights of uh, the First Timothy text. Thank you, Jeff. I imagine this will be sort of a game changer for readers of our Bible translation who have never seen this very vexatious passage translated, giving women so much agency and dignity. Yes, we hope so. We surely hope so. Thank you. Why, in your view, have Bible translations failed to fairly and adequately represent the original author's intention? And how can English readers find better strategies in avoiding translate, translation bias and errors? Well, bias, um, the word you just used there, is key here. And to be clear, um, CBE's translation team recognizes that we are not without bias. So the way forward is to compare translation. Now, I don't, translations, plural, I don't mean when you're like reading the Bible through in a year or when you're reading all of the Psalms or all the way through a gospel. In those cases, of course, you want to pick a good translation and read it in large chunks. But when we're studying, when we're preparing to teach, preparing to preach, preparing to discuss a text with someone else, then that's the time to compare translations. Uh, I would say three or more translations. And one way to think about our work is that we want this to be a resource that can sit there right alongside that comparative work. to help readers notice the differences and evaluate the differences among translations. You know, most translations don't have the space or take the time to explain themselves. Mm. 
So this is, a, you might call it a handbook or a, a guide to the work of evaluating translations. Well, this is really helpful, Jeff, because the team is prompting engagement, intellectual questioning, versus just sort of passive reception of whatever the English words might be. And I, right? Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a break. So we'll be away for a few minutes, but coming back with Jeff Milner's insights on Bible translation. CBE is headed to Brazil in July 2023 to host an international conference that promotes women's biblical equality and shared leadership in the home, church, and world. At CBE conferences, people come together from countries around the world to explore egalitarian theology historically, biblically, and socially. Many conference attendees come from backgrounds where women's equal authority is not accepted in the home, church, or workplace, and where theological patriarchy encourages the subjugation of women and girls, resulting in abuse. It is crucial that we provide conference scholarships so students, pastors, and those who cannot afford the registration fee can attend to receive egalitarian resources and encouragement from an international network of scholars, leaders, and practitioners to empower their life, work, and studies. We need your help to educate more people through CBE conferences so they will advocate for women's biblical equality and proclaim the liberation that women and men have through Christ. $70,000 is needed for scholarships and planning costs for Brazil 2023. Come alongside CBE to help scholarship recipients and all conference attendees engage in the conversation for women's biblical equality and for them to build awareness of the abuse of theological patriarchy. Welcome back, everyone. We're going to hear from Jeff again on some crucial questions like, Jeff, what's your personal favorite revision from the Old Testament team and also the New Testament team and why? Great question. Um, I've been using that language of Old Testament team and New Testament team. Uh, just to be clear, the Old Testament team is a group of four scholars. Uh, the New Testament team is a group of five scholars. And we are spread all around the globe. Mm. So for the Old Testament, you know, you've asked for maybe a favorite. Well, I already mentioned genuine partner as Genesis 2.18. And that's probably my favorite, but I mentioned it already. So I'll grab another one. Isaiah 3.12. Here's our translation of Isaiah 3.12. Oppressors torment my people. Money lenders exploit them. Oh, my people, your leaders mislead you. They lead you astray. Now, the word money lenders there, money lenders exploit them, is women in many translations. As mm -hmm. a matter of fact, almost all translations say something like women exploit them. And that's a huge difference, of course. Mm -hmm. I can claim this as a favorite translation from our Old Testament team for a couple reasons. First, making that change from the word women to the word moneylenders depends on a tremendous amount of scholarship. Even though the payoff is only one word, the work behind that change is years of study. Mm. And to be clear, this is not a novel idea from our Old Testament team. Mm -hmm. The Common English Bible, 
which many of our listeners will be familiar with, uses the word swindlers. The Net Bible, also called the New English Translation, uses the word creditors. And the 2021 update of the New Revised Standard Version also uses creditors, which is a change from what it had before, uh, from 1989 to 2021. It had women. And so I'm not saying that our team has come up with some new idea or change the meaning of the text. Their work has been validated by the work of at least three other translation teams. Mm -hmm. Now, a second reason that this text, Isaiah 3.12, comes to mind as a favorite that I can claim Mm -hmm. is that it calls for commentary. Um, So what I'm saying is it it demonstrates the need for the kind of work we're doing. It's not just a translation, but it is a translation with an explanation. Mm -hmm. We can't simply switch women to moneylenders and expect people to accept that. It's such a big change. Everyone would notice. So it calls for explanation. And in this case, a highly detailed explanation of how such a thing could have come about in Bible translation. Um, For the New Testament, there's a lot of options, but I will grab Ephesians 5.33. Ephesians 5.33, here's our translation, starting a few words into the verse. Each and every husband must love his wife as himself, so that the wife may respect her husband. I confess my own bias here. Uh, Julie Walsh and I recently published an article in the journal, The Bible Translator, arguing this same thing. Julie is a friend of CBE. She has published in Priscilla Papers. And she came to me with the idea, which some other scholars, including Cindy Westfall, who is a member of our translation team, an idea that they had already promoted which is that Ephesians 5.33 does not command or instruct wives to respect their husbands. Rather, it instructs husbands to love their wives so that wives can respect their husbands. Mm. This is almost unheard of in English Bibles and certainly not present in any well-known translations. This is an example, Mimi, of where readers will encounter something that they may have never heard before. Mm. And I'll also say it's an example of something that wasn't terribly difficult on our part, Mm -hmm. because that's what the text says. That's what the Greek text says. So the Ephesians 5.33 translation comes with less commentary than the Isaiah 3.12 passage? The Isaiah 3 change is the result of a deep dive into the Hebrew text, the vowels of the Hebrew text, and the Greek Septuagint text that translates it. And so a highly detailed explanation is called for. The Ephesians 5.33 change is entirely different. What's going on there is we're translating what the text actually says even though 
no English Bible says it that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So I guess our explanation on that one will just be kind of adding emphasis rather than <laughs> explaining in detail. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we certainly look forward to both. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, do you have um, a question that you would like um, me to ask you? And if so, why don't you ask it and then answer it for our listeners? Okay. Yeah, I was pleased to see that you had put that uh, question in the list. Um, so what I would like you to ask me, and what I'll ask myself right now, is what has surprised me? What has surprised me the most about this process? Well, what has surprised me the most is kind of twofold. First of all, it's that committed egalitarian scholars can disagree about so many things. So many details is what I mean. You know, we we come to the task in agreement about the big things. But once you start getting into the precise wording of over 500 texts, there is not unanimity. So that kind of surprised me. Secondly, uh, this is the other side of that coin. I've been pleasantly surprised that these disagreements tend to bring positive results. Each of us has changed our mind on certain things. Each of us has learned a lot. And the need for us to listen to each other, to hear each other out as we disagree, has often resulted in consensus, uh, consensus that may have seemed out of reach uh, as we as we got into a particular text. Mm-hmm. I think I can imagine which text that might be. <laughs> but yeah, and... And really, um, how beautiful that the Spirit just brought such unity and clarity, even while you chose to actively listen and engage the wisdom of each other in this wonderful community. I think of um, Jerome and Paula in the deserts outside Palestine working on the Latin Vulgate and how just the whole process is, is one in which a whole community of Christians come together um, to learn and listen to each other. And it sounds like that's what's happened. Yeah, and I'll add a little bit to that. Um, I really appreciate your your follow-up there. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but quite some time ago, a few years ago, you asked me just in person how things were going. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was kind of wrapped up in the first of those two surprises I just mentioned. The first one being that committed egalitarian scholars can disagree about so many things. I hadn't yet uh, felt the benefit of the second half that as we work together, the consensus is rich. And so I told you the first half, and you said... That's great. It sounds like we put a good team together. I mean, you saw from the beginning that we don't want a team who already agree on everything. Hmm. Uh, So thanks for that. Well, Jeff, you've definitely uh, had 
just a true anointing in your leadership here. And I'm grateful for that. And uh, may it be so with all other Bible translation teams. So speaking of sort of end goals, what would you say are the key goals of the Bible, our Bible translation team? And what do you hope the impact of this project will be for the church? Well, the first key goal is the one that I hope is self-evident. It's to, to provide translations that faithfully communicate the Bible's meaning. We have no intention of communicating something that we don't sincerely believe the Bible means. Secondly, it's to, pr pr to provide translations that are not prone to misuse, mm. that are not prone to result in um, some life application that is to the detriment of women or to anyone. Mm. Mm. Number three is to provide windows into the translation process, and that comes through the commentary. The commentary explains our choices, but it also hopefully will help readers as they evaluate texts that we didn't tackle mm -hmm. or that we haven't yet. Um, it talks about when we disagree and which other translations we've followed and why. So that's kind of what I mean by providing windows. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Jeff, at this point, how many trend, how many passages collectively have both together, the two teams, how many have they tackled? Uh, we've tackled all but two. And so when I say 500 verses, and it's actually 513, mm -hmm. um, some of those are very short, just a brief paragraph, and some of those are a full chapter. Wow. And the Old Testament team has translated all the words of all the texts that were given to them. And they're now working on the commentary. Mm -hmm. uh, the New Testament team has two yet to go. Wow. Um, two, not two verses, but two passages. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also working on commentary. So I'm working on those two passages are, are in Paul's letters. And so I'm working on commentary on the Gospels and the general letters while the team is working to finish up Paul. Okay. Okay. Well, that brings us to our last question for this episode. Can you help our readers uh, learn how they might be able to partner with you uh, in prayer as you and your team work? Yeah, I would be glad to, and thanks for the opportunity. So, as I said before, this is a team of nine people, nine Bible scholars, um, working in partnership with uh, Mimi and other people at CBE. Uh, we work together to do the translations, to write the commentary, to come to consensus. And the thing to pray for is wisdom. Um, knowledge, of course. Uh, but not just knowledge and results, of course. We need to finish those last two texts, but not just results. Uh, please pray for wisdom. It's what all of us need. Amen. Absolutely. 
Well, Jeff, thank you so much for giving us a preview into CBE's Bible Translation Project today, and we will most certainly have you back again in the very near future. And thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'll be glad to come back. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, listeners. Stay tuned to new episodes coming to you every month from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, please go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guest, Jeff, and find out more about the work he has done. Um, and click on our website here, www.cbe international, where you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, listen to audio of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog, our magazine and academic journal, and visit our bookstore that contains tons of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service for the gospel, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I'm Amy Haddad, and I'd like to thank our wonderful podcast tech team, led by Landon, and for all those who listen to us around the world, this is Mutuality Matters, and thanks for listening. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 